0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good evening. We're live. Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Q&A meditation session. Meditation Q&A session. tonight we will be taking up questions. I'm joined again by Shraddha. We've adjusted the method so it might work better, it might work worse. Either way, try and be mindful. The method we use in this session is to begin from a place of mindfulness. Set yourself on the practice of mindfulness. A mindful perspective is different from an ordinary perspective. You have to understand this. Our way of, of existing, our, our, our whole Uh, perspective it changes when we begin to practice mindfulness our ordinary perspective is full of people and places and things the mindful perspective has none of those things it has only experiences so get in that frame of mind and then you can st- ask your questions you'll see the questions maybe change maybe they disappear when you realize they really had nothing to do with anything important but when important questions come up questions come up you just type them in Shraddha will an- ask them and I will answer them and when you're done asking just close your eyes settle back into the present moment. You can follow the stomach rising, falling. You can listen at the ear, hearing, hearing. All right, are we ready to begin? Yes.
1: Yes, we have a few questions.
0: All right. We're here, I think. It's up.
1: I understand control doesn't exist in an ultimate sense, but conceptually speaking, does practicing Satipatthana increase our ability to self-control?
0: Yeah, the Buddha did use the words words like, I hesitate, you know, the Buddha used words in Pali, and I don't know that you could properly translate them as control. Uh, Restraint and taming. You know, Buddha talked much about much more about taming the mind. So when you talk about self-control, you're probably talking often about something like a tamed mind. But you have to understand the difference, because when you say self-control, there's a misperception that somehow it's control that keeps the mind at peace and rest and, and ordered, when in fact it's training and taming. And that's how the Buddha spoke. Atano Damianti Pandita. Wise tame the mind tame themselves. Cittang Dantang Sukavahang. The tamed mind the tamed mind brings happiness. So it will it will tame the mind. But like a tamed animal. Buddha used and the commentary used this sort of language. Like a tamed animal. The mind isn't under your control, it's just well tamed. And the taming is is most on the deepest level done through wisdom, accomplished through wisdom, through seeing clearly, through understanding. Because through understanding there there is not the there there disappears the capacity to do things wrong, to 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 perform acts and speech and thoughts that cause suffering. Uh Uh-oh. Well, there's our first... What happened? There's our first crash. One second. It just crashed on me.
1: All right. Well, I'd be contradicting, but this vows if I join the military
0: well the problem is that in the military you have to be willing to kill and so when you tell them yes I'm willing to kill you yeah, you're going against the Buddhist vow I undertake vi padang I undertake the training precept to abstain from taking life so regardless of whether you either, ever do you can't keep both vows. You can't keep your vows to the military and your vows as a Buddhist. As far as I understand, I don't know if there's exceptions and I guess it depends on the country. So which military you're talking about, there are Buddhist countries that have military where maybe you're allowed to, to not take that promise to kill. I mean, if you, you could always lie to them but then you'd be breaking the fourth precept. I mean, it's not about breaking precepts, it's that it's wrong But if there's a way to not have to take that vow And to be clear to them that you're not going to kill Then just joining the military I mean, military often does very good things for the country Depending on which country and who's in charge and so on Military itself is not necessarily wrong or bad
1: Um, Bhante, I'm uh, skipping a few non-meditation questions. Maybe we can come back to them if we have time. How can I stay in the present moment for longer periods of time without distractions taking over from present awareness?
0: Sorry, just a second. Well, practice there's I mean there's no secret. There's no trick. The secret of success is hard work. That's why it's a secret. and And you don't actually ever stay in the present moment for longer long periods of time. You're only in the present moment at for moments, right The present moment is a thing is is a concept. The reality is things that arise and cease, so staying in the present moment isn't possible. It's either in that moment are you experiencing objectively or are you experiencing with subjectivity, with partiality, with bias. That's the only question. And it's momentary. So you constantly have to cultivate it. Now eventually that becomes habitual and so it appears that you're staying in the present moment. But all that means is the inclination is more towards objectivity. In fact, we're always in the present moment. Even when we're thinking about the past or future, we're still in the present moment. But that's not what you mean. I understand. But it's just to be clear. I mean, it's it's kind of even funny to ask how can you stay in the present moment for longer periods of time when present moment, of course, is just one moment. But I know what you mean. It's just uh, to be clear. Uh, it's not. It doesn't work like that. And practically speaking, that's important because it has to be cultivated every moment.
1: When experiences come and go fast, like an accidental fast step, do I stop the mantra short step instead of stepping? Or do I finish the mantra even when the experience is gone?
0: you You wouldn't finish it when it's gone. I would interrupt it. I mean, it's not, this isn't a big issue. You know, just try and stop and instead be mindful of what's happening, whatever it is. Yeah, no, just stop it short. Note whatever is there now.
1: Do you know that you have made progress?
0: (laughs) Okay, go ahead.
1: Awesome. You have made progress in meditation.
0: Simplest answer is you have you notice that you have less greed, less anger, and less delusion. That's probably the best answer. There's lots more that can be said can describe in detail various qualities of mindfulness, uh, but generally it comes down to that. And if you want more detail, you can expand that list and talk about what what does greed mean, what are the types of greed, what are the types of anger, and especially what are the types of delusion. That's the, I guess, the most complicated, hardest to understand. It means things like arrogance and conceit, even worry and uh, doubt. It means uh, confusion and Uh, Delusion—it means ignorance, that sort of thing. But greed, anger, and delusion—that's how you judge your progress. But your focus should never be on progress; it should be on practice. It should be on quality of, of the actions that you do. You know, just think of this as a general principle. You don't have to worry about results if the things you're doing are good, are, are are productive of good results. So figure out what it is that's productive of good results and just keep doing that. And don't worry about something like progress. Progress has to come, you know, Good good results have to come from good things.
1: if a voluntary life experience such as taking on a very demanding job is too much for my current level of practice and will actually hinder it?
0: It's hard to say without knowing in detail, but yes, you can know if you examine it and if you're familiar. I mean, you'd have to kind of have some experience and mindfulness to know whether a given activity or, or life experience, as you say, would get in the way. Of course, taking on a very demanding job, I don't think it's hard to understand that, that, that yes, of course, it's going to hinder your practice.
1: Does omission violate the fourth precept?
0: No. No, it doesn't. No, in fact, uh, not telling the truth is in the sense of not speaking when you could speak it can be a very, very useful thing, an important thing, an important part of the practice. So there's this Zen story about a... a. Um, The, the dilemma, suppose a dilemma of the fourth precept, where if you see a, an animal running through the forest, you're a monk sitting in the forest mindfully, and you see it go down one path, and then a hunter comes and asks, "Did you see that animal?" You have to lie to them, they say, but of course you don't have to lie; you just say nothing. I once asked a Zen monk, "Why, why wouldn't you? Why couldn't you just say nothing?" And he said, "Well, yeah, I guess I guess that's true." I don't know what a Zen teacher would say.
1: Start letting go of attachment. It sounds so distant to me.
0: Well, that's your attachment talking. <laughs> we, of course, we don't want to let go. How do you let go of attachments? You realize that they do not they aren't actually distant, that in fact they're very close to you and they're causing you stress and suffering. And then it's not a matter of letting go, it's a matter of the knowledge not allowing you to cling because wisdom won't allow you to do things that cause suffering, that you know cause suffering. I think you're still cutting out the beginning of what you say. I don't know if you actually adjusted that, but just let you know. Are you still there? Did we lose her? Oh,
1: sorry, I was reading the question. I guess it didn't work. I hear you now. Okay, yes. I did push to talk to see if that would help. Um, sorry, let me read it again. I have noticed that I seem to go through a burnt-out period after retreats, programs, and I don't meditate. I observe this as impermanent patterns, but I worry about telling my practice what to do.
0: We have to note both. I mean, you have to note the worry. That's a big problem, and you have to note what you call the burnt out period. I mean, that's just a label. You have to figure out what's exact, what's actually happening, and start to cultivate habits of mindfulness related to that. So, Teach yourself to be mindful of those things, see them differently.
1: Ultimate goal of meditation.
0: Strange, you're still cutting out. I don't hear the beginning of what you say.
1: Oh, yeah, I was, uh, I did set it to full sensitivity. I'm not sure.
0: Okay, the ultimate... Didn't we just get this question? Isn't this a repeat? I guess uh, many of them are repeats, which is fine. Um, Well, the ultimate goal of meditation is freedom from suffering. There's no other way to put it. So simple question, simple answer.
1: for strong kilesas like pride, hatred, envy to suddenly start coming up after a while of practice.
0: I mean, it's normal for them to come up anyway. But practice does do something in terms of forcing you to confront states and experiences that you normally wouldn't have to confront. So it may seem... At times, that it's worse than not meditating because it challenges you and it triggers you in ways that you can avoid, but you can only avoid them for so long. Take a person who is moderately wealthy and healthy and has a stable family home, family life, and a job, and so on. They may seem like, "Wow, I'm really a you know I'm a pretty good person. Don't get upset about things," until something very bad happens to them. If you compare that to a person who's meditating and dealing with greed, anger, and delusion constantly, it might seem that the person who's not meditating is much better off. But in fact, of course, the person doing all that work meditating is coming to terms with the emotions and coming to terms with their reactivity so that when bad things eventually do happen to them or anything happens to them, they're much more familiar with it and much better able to deal with it mindfully and with wisdom. That's the whole point. So facing is is a big part of it. The fact that you have to face your chileses.
1: My mother has been grieving a loss for too long now, and I would like to introduce her to meditation. I've thought about the booklet, but she might be reluctant. What could I say to convince her to try?
0: Well, you can teach her. I mean, you teach her. You can mention it to her and and meditate with her and that sort of thing. It's hard with parents because it's not your, it's not your duty to be her teacher. And when I say that, I mean that that's just generally accepted. And what that means is that she's most mothers are not likely to. Be at all interested, interested in having their kids teach them. It's just not the way it's done. So, I mean, it's a shame. It could be the way it's done, but it's very hard for a mother to take lessons from their child or a father. Some do, and and it happens. It's just generally hard that way. So, I mean, ultimately. These sorts of this general question about what can I say to convince someone to meditate? It's not really how it works. You can't convince people to meditate, they have to give rise to it in themselves. One great way is by example, when they see the benefits it has for you, that brings them closer to interest. The
1: world to simultaneously note more than one object. For instance, can I note my walking, the liking within my mind, and the images my eyes are seeing in front of me?
0: It's not even possible to be aware of two things simultaneously. What would it it mean to note two things simultaneously? I'm assuming you don't quite mean simultaneously, or you don't realize what that would mean, because could you imagine having two thoughts at the very same time in your mind? What, what, What would that even mean? It would be like... If this text on the screen, if there were two texts in the same place, you know, it would it would it would be meaningless. Uh, but but I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the idea of when you know it happens very quickly and there's many things coming and going. Can you? I mean, I, I'm, this probably isn't even what you're saying. But you could go back and forth. Probably you shouldn't go back and forth very quickly between things. Like, for example, when you're walking, you probably just want to ignore a lot of things, but if it really distracts you, then stop walking and focus on the other object. So you really shouldn't do two things at once, because it's hard to note back and forth, back and forth. You should stop walking and, and note the new thing. Uh, Shraddha, can we switch to Skype? Sure. In there, hi, okay,
1: all right. Day, when doing metta, I don't use a pre made formula, instead, I like to wish good things for the person in my own words. It just feels more authentic and genuine. Is that acceptable?
0: Yes, use your own words. That's a good idea. Be careful though; like you have to be wise with these sorts of things. It's a good question, you know. That that's a really good question. Because um, yes, I think so, but it's imp- it's important to be in line with the ideas behind those pre-made formulas. You have to get, ask yourself, and this is gen- this is true for a lot of Buddhist things. You have to ask yourself, what is the essence? And be always aware of the fact that you might misunderstand. See, the benefit of using their words is that, like a parrot, you'll get the words right, (laughs) of course. The problem is, it's not authentic to you. And eventually you do have to, because you'll never be them. You do have to use your own words. You just, all along the way, have to be vigilant careful and humble to the fact that you might get it wrong you know, it's quite common for that to translate into people importing their own wrong ideas into the teaching so for metta it's quite possible that you say may that person become my spouse or you know, <coughs> suppose you got into that, you say okay I'm just using my own words, may that person and I become lovers and, and romantically involved and you think you're doing metta because you're just using your own words but that's a very silly example, but you know, if I imagine people have done that That would be losing the essence So don't just assume that you're going to get it right Be careful and be humble to the fact That you can very easily get it wrong We should always be humble And be aware that we might be wrong It's, it's quite surprising It happens and you get so surprised by it Realizing that you just got it wrong You were so sure it was right and you were wrong Be aware that that happens Even though you think you're right, you can still be wrong. It doesn't mean you have to doubt yourself all the time. You have to just be aware of the existence and the possibility for for overconfidence and for confidence to blind you to the truth. So, best practice to um, keep the words always, keep the, the formula and the original words, the words of the Buddha in mind. And always go back to them and make sure that you're in line with them. Try your best to be in line with them. It's a question but, about me. Yeah, don't I'm you not Answer ju- questions about okay. me.
1: <laughs> um, there's another question, but that's. I went back to some of the other questions I had skipped before, so there's also this question, I'm not sure if it's, how many hours do you sleep a night? Uh, I guess that's also about you, I don't know if Mm. when they say you, it means. Yeah,
0: tell them to rephrase them, (laughs) if they want to ask a question, just don't, I mean that people are going to now ask why not, and and we've explained the reasons, but apart from all the really technical reasons it's just that's not the point here i'm not the point i'm happy to not have you know to not broadcast my face on all this because it was always a big problem in the beginning and i thought about it but this whole idea of of focusing on the individual it's quite misleading and i don't know if i mentioned online but monks in ancient times when they gave a talk and even today in thailand when they give a talk well, they don't do it so much in Thailand anymore. In Burma, they still do it. I think when they gave a talk, they put a fan in front of their face for that explicit purpose of not having the focus be on them, because it's not about them. It's not making about. So, so ask your question without reference to an individual. No, no offense. I mean, we're not. That doesn't upset to to hear the, to have. It's, it's reasonable that you would ask that. It's a lot of them, but just to let you know.
1: Bhante, should we avoid curse words like the F word? Can they be used in any context?
0: So technically, I don't think it's a problem. There was one Israeli monk, and I tried to explain it to them, but he was really really pure and nice and and wonderful person. But he used the BS. He, He kept saying BS. Not B.S., but the actual word. And apparently, it's a thing in Israel that that it's you know it's just what everyone uses. They, it's just part of daily speech. And he didn't realize, because his first his native language wasn't English. He didn't realize that it was a bad word. And I tried to explain. I don't think it ever got through to him. So I mean, obviously, words are not the problem. It's the content behind them. But the the, the a person who knows the usage and, and the, you know, if one someone who is a native speaker well, I mean he actually admonished me later on he, I, I used the word stupid and he said, or in Thai I used the word ngo and we were learning Thai and I said, oh, you say, how you say stupid is ngo and he said, you shouldn't learn that word <laughs> so for for a, a native speaker especially of any language the usage of the word is very hard to separate it from the emotion from the, the the unwholesomeness involved with it. So I would avoid using the words. Um, or I, I would choose not to when you can, if it just comes out of your mouth. It's very common. It's, I wouldn't worry about it. It's absolutely not the problem. And in fact, that can be a problem where we get so guilty about the words and we're taught not to say the words that they take on meaning. Someone sent me a video of... Uh, well, I'm not going to say. Anyway. Maybe you know the video I'm talking about. but we give words power, and we need not do that. Words are, but but they do, you know, they do have power. We we give them power. So the usage of the word, the F word, is uh, very much tied up with our emotions. You know, words are a part of our expression, are a part of our inclination when we use them. Of course, if you just say a word, the, the just saying of it can absolutely be a, bevoid, devoid of emotions. It just isn't, practically speaking, because it's a part of our routine. It's a part of our habit. We have we have threads of activity and speech. I think they're called engrams or something, where it's like uh, our our way of doing things. We build up these techniques of speech, these methods of speech and action and so on. So mindfulness will help us change that.
1: Is this kind of meditation or this path compatible with faith-based religion?
0: Right away, I want to say no. But then there's a warning in my mind that you have to be flexible and not shut people out. So if someone is a follower of a faith-based religion, there's no reason why they can't practice meditation. So rather than phrase it like that, we might say, is it compatible with the quality of mind or the the state of mind of believing things without evidence? And that's where I think I would say no. No, you're going to have to give that up, which means ultimately that Faith based religion falls apart for someone who practices meditation because they begin to see the truth and they see that the truth is not incomplete, that there, it's not that there are things we can't know. Anything that we can't know is not worth knowing. We start to see that sort of thing and realize that what's worth knowing is all knowable. with faith-based religion is that what's knowable is all knowable no, what's worth knowing is all knowable
1: if the ultimate goal of meditation is freedom from suffering so if someone some has beliefs which ease their suffering or stops it should they continue on that path without choosing to meditate?
0: Well, the point is, whatever whatever eases suffer, whatever frees us from suffering, is of course what we should do. The problem is that without that which we call meditation, you can't actually free yourself from suffering. So you're you're couching this in your your you're kind of slippery here when you talk about easing suffering because that's a loaded phrase. Many things ease our suffering, but actually, in the long term, exacerbate it. Like, indulgence and sensuality eases your suffering. It doesn't actually make you clo- any closer. It brings you further from freedom from suffering. There's a difference. So the answer is absolutely not in that case. So, oh, so but what you're talking about, if someone has beliefs, well, beliefs, I don't think in and of themselves can uh, ease your suffering. It's that when those beliefs are activated in relation to, let's say, fears that you have. Suppose you have a fear of dying. And so you delude yourself into believing you're going to exist forever. And so that eases your suffering. Or you lie to someone, you know, someone's dying and you lie to them and say, oh yes, you're going to live, you're, you're going to get better, you know. And so it eases their suffering. Um, okay, for the, the, That's we have to unpack a lot there. It's a, you know, it's a good question. The first thing is that, of course, you're lying and that's wrong. The second thing is that person is now out of touch with reality and that's problematic. But the most fundamental problem is that they're not actually going to... You've actually done them a disservice in that specific example. You've helped them believe something wrong and it's eased their suffering. That actually is a problem for them now because they're not going to face their suffering. So what you maybe don't understand and what this question sort of lacks is the understanding that uh, we're not actually trying to run away from suffering we're trying to confront it and so things that ease our suffering are actually counterproductive and the best the only real way to free yourself from suffering is to confront it and understand it because it's understanding that sets you free and it's only by facing it anything that you can come to understand it
1: What is the best method to increase concentration in meditation
0: stop trying to increase concentration in meditation focus more on mindfulness concentration comes from being mindful moments moments of mindfulness will start to change your your state of mind your quality of mind conversely you can become very concentrated and not very mindful so Mindfulness is always the balancer. It's the one that you use to cultivate and and balance the others.
1: Could the proposition that we're ultimately suffering add to actual suffering we're noting in daily life?
0: I mean, yeah. If you're if you're obsessed about the fact that we're suffering, I mean, it does good things in terms of helping you be, have a realistic outlook. But it can also be very pessimistic, and that's problematic. I don't think it has to. I think you just have to be realistic and understand mm-hmm. that that's reality. And and you know, but, no, you don't. I mean, views are not important. Important is seeing clearly. So what you're talking about is really a view: we are suffering. And and if you fixate on that, you're missing out on reality. You just have to see clearly. There's no theory or view that you have to cling to. Oh, sorry, I I forget I have to play an active role here.
1: Where does wisdom come from?
0: Comes from concentr come from focus, let's say. Let's not use the word concentration. It comes from focus. Like a camera when you focus the camera you see clearly. Does focus come from? Focus comes from um Behavior. The, the most important behavior is guarding the senses, watching, experience, using mindfulness. Mindfulness is what leads to the three trainings, what we call sila, samadhi, and panya. Ethics, focus, and wisdom. Behavior, focus, and wisdom, we might say. Behavior, focus, and full knowledge, or full understanding.
1: say that suffering boils down to a refusal refusal to acknowledge that the true nature of reality is impermanent
0: Well, it's not a refusal to acknowledge so much, it is just a lack of knowledge you don't have to refuse something you just don't know so a lot of people don't refuse to acknowledge they just never had any idea in the first place But yes, impermanent, suffering and non-self are inextricably intertwined. Things are only truly suffering because of the impermanence. It's really the ultimate meaning of the whole thing.
1: What is sp- spirituality?
0: It's just a, it's a word, let's put it that way. Not to be, not to be blithe or whatever. But I don't have much to say about that because we don't use that word so much. So you'd have to ask the people who use that word what they mean by it. Oh, why are you doing this to me? Am I going to answer this one? I don't know.
1: Are Mahayana Sutras true? A pass. Are they different than the suttas we read?
0: All right. Because you asked. They're very different. Very oh. different. Some some of them might not be very different, but they're for the most part very different.
1: Hmm. I would they don't
0: even have the same sorry?
1: Oh, I would have assumed they're the same. Sorry.
0: So it depends what you mean by Mahayana Sutras Because there are something called the Agamas Which are just, as I understand them Very similar cop to copies of what we have They're just in Sanskrit Well, they're in Chinese now And a lot of them are very similar apparently But those aren't, I don't think, called Mahayana Sutras The Mahayana Sutras are called that Because they are explicit They are purposefully different They are purposefully more than the Theravada and the flavor is different if you read them. If you if you're curious, I recommend to read them. If you're in our tradition and it's of interest to you, read some of the short ones. What's one? I think the Heart Sutra is very short. Uh, the diamond you know, the Diamond Sutra. Read, I mean, what was the one? The Lotus Sutra is the one that we read, but it's very long. But just read the beginning of the Lotus Sutra. Uh, there's some good in it, but. You know, I'm not going to say anything else.
1: Is it okay to just say I meditate and study the Dhamma rather than say that I'm a Buddhist? I've never liked having a label. Yes,
0: yes. Absolutely it's fine in some cases in some instances, in some circumstances, it's preferable because of your circumstance, if you were to say you're Buddhist, it would cause all sorts of unnecessary problems. That being said, there's a couple of things you have to be aware of. one is taking the Buddha as your refuge can be very uh, very important, you know, having respect for the Buddha, taking the Buddha as your as your leader, as your teacher. Is I think ultimately, you know, if you're talking about getting deep into the practice, ultimately it's an important part of the path. That doesn't mean you have to call yourself a Buddhist per se, but that's kind of what it means, you know. So if you tell people, I'm not Buddhist, it kind of isn't true if you are a follower of the Buddha. You can say, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm just a follower of the Buddha. Well, doesn't that mean you're Buddhist? What's the difference? You can say, well, I don't like having a label. It's fine. Labels are just that. So, so the question for people who sometimes say that is just, do they really mean what they're saying or do they actually mean they just don't want to give up their autonomy? They, they want to be their own person, which is actually ego. Calling yourself and Professing yourself to be a follower of the Buddha, I think, is in the long term an important thing to do. Some people probably disagree.
1: I want to be mindful, but I feel like giving up my practice, which I don't want to. What should I do?
0: Well, note those feelings. I don't think it's a big concern because you're just going to suffer if you stop being mindful so you'll come back to it and you you won't give it up I mean often the conflict makes you give it up the worry and the concern the guilt and the doubt and so on just let go of that and just do it (laughs) just practice feel like when you feel like anything it doesn't mean you actually have to or will do it it doesn't mean anything actually apart from that you're feeling that so just stay with the feeling
1: How do you stop shame from eating?
0: Do they mean like shame related to eating? Or do Maybe. they mean shame, stopping shame from eating you or something? Oh. Shame from eating, right? It probably means eating, like eating food.
1: Right.
0: There's really no answer besides be mindful. Have you read my booklet? Take up the at home course if you're interested. We have an at home course right now where you can meet. We talk once a week and give you a new exercise every week.
1: Are there any ways or texts to rid my skepticism about rebirth?
0: No, I think mindfulness will do that. If you come to see things very clearly, you'll be completely in line with the idea that the mind continues on and that death doesn't actually have the power to extinguish the mind.
1: I often feel guilty for my existence and can't accept who I am as a person. How can I stop these self-loathing thoughts?
0: Again, I don't have any advice besides have you read our booklet? And if you're interested, read the booklet, take up meditation, sign up for the at-home course. It will help a lot. I guess I could say one thing is accepting who you are as a person is not necessary. Focus on the feeling guilty, focusing on the loathing. Don't worry about accepting yourself, who you are, or something. It's just conceptual. It's not that you should be non-accepting or unaccepting. It's that you shouldn't see that as the goal. The goal should be to free yourself from suffering.
1: During meditation, when noting something difficult, for example anger, I sometimes add mental reminders such as allow or make space or don't fight. Is this wrong practice?
0: Yes. Yes, that's trying to control. It may work sometimes, but ultimately it's building habits of control and habits of attachment partiality you know even being even being angry about your anger is a problem disliking your anger is a problem so trying to get rid of it by using words like that or tricks like that is is not the goal if you want to be free from anger you have to stop reacting to everything including anger so let the anger be there focus on it see it clearly that's all it takes That sort of behavior, in fact, has, I've seen it lead people to go crazy because they, you know, probably you won't, but they take it to an extreme and it winds them up. The only really good, the only really sure mantra is the one we use because it's related to, it brings you closer to reality rather than further from it.
1: If I let go of my attachment, then what's the point of living if there's no goal to go after?
0: Well, there's no point to living. Living is just something that happens. It doesn't have to be a point to things. Things just happen. Your question, probably the, the next question will be, well, then why shouldn't I kill myself? Because well, there's no point to killing yourself either. Things don't have
1: points. I'm a foreigner living in Japan. What's a good place to learn meditation over here apart from my house?
0: See, these are risky questions because I don't travel and I don't have intimate knowledge with places. I mean, the answer immediately is that I don't know. I don't know any place in Japan, but... I don't want to encourage these sorts of questions because then it is asking me to judge places and give you recommendations that are ultimately out of my capacity to give because I don't know enough about any place really. Yeah, but thing. when you're in Japan, you could uh, you could take our at-home course. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's why I put the question here so you could mention oh. that. <laughs>
0: Take our at-home course. It's on our website. We just do voice chat once a week. Voice conference once a week. No chatting.
1: And the link is in the description of the video. How would you suggest to meditate for a job interview?
0: Use our technique. Have you read the booklet? No question that would help. Take the at-home course. Focus on the worry, the fear, the anxiety.
1: Is being mindful the same as meditating?
0: So the word meditation means many things. It means different things to different people. For us they're the same, yes? Or or maybe we can clarify and say Meditation is what evokes mindfulness, so the noting itself, you might say it's not, you might say it is, but you might say it's not the actual mindfulness, it's what evokes mindfulness, it's what evokes the remembrance of the experience, so they're technically not the same thing in that in that uh, way of looking at it, but one leads to the other, meditation is what evokes mindfulness.
1: How can a person raised in Western culture where goal-oriented thinking is ingrained lay aside this habit of mind necessary for practice?
0: You don't lay aside habits. You learn about your habits. That's a big part of mindfulness. So don't worry about it. That's the whole problem. What you've described is just the whole problem that we're we have habits that are ingrained in us and they're not perfect. Because they're not perfect, they need to be changed. And you can't just lay them aside or and wouldn't it be great if we could just lay aside our habits? Sorry, not to make fun of you, but it really is. The It's an important misunderstanding we have that we're going to just lay things aside, we're going to change things, but you can't change your habits. That's not how it works. And it's an important part of the learning that occurs through meditation that you stop trying to change your habits and you start trying to see them clearly. Because as you see them clearly, they change. And with that one, I think we're done. Oh. I see mm-hmm. the next one, and that's why I'm saying it.
1: <laughs> I was—I uh, just put that because two different people asked it, and All right. maybe we can just give uh, some guidance on what kind of questions you answer. So.
0: All right. So we're going to, let's see if I can, we don't have a goodbye one. I have a goodbye one but it's diff- it looks a little different. So, here's a goodbye one. Sadhu. And we can just talk a little bit about the questions. So, thank you all good questions. There was a couple there that I thought were actually particularly not to compare. I'm not trying to show favorites, but some that were a little maybe a little unique, maybe hadn't been answered or allowed me to say things that I don't say very often. But that's not doesn't make them better, per se. The best question, and so this deals with this question, the question that I'm not putting up. (laughs) Um, The best question is the one that helps you, truly helps you, the one whose answer truly helps you. So to that extent, it's not the questions that are useful, it's the answers and the pressure is all on me to give a good answer. But um, the only way you're going to get an answer is if you ask a question, of course. And so best question is the one whose answer helps you and to that end we're skipping questions that the answer to the that that don't answer questions for whom the answer to the question does this question help that person is no if the answer to that question is no we skip it and of course it's not a yes or no it's well, this doesn't help them very much, you know, it's not really an important question, we may skip it. There's other reasons for skipping. We skip questions that are, as I said, directed towards an individual, questions that are uh, related to other traditions, related to other places. So if you got an answer to the question, where should you go in Japan, that would be great. I just don't have an answer. And it would be improper for me to give you one based on my inadequate knowledge. So, that's all for tonight. Thank you all for coming out. Have a good night. Thank you Shraddha as well for being so kind and helpful. Have a good night. Sadhu.